Good morning, Marbley Baptist Church. I knew it was going to be a good morning when I heard that little girl's amen come from somewhere over there. And so I'm going to probably say amen as often as I can just to get that going. My name is Mike Keybone. If you would, open up your Bibles to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. I want you to find verse 13. I love the emphasis that your church is putting on two of the most significant things that can put the emphasis on. One of those is making sure that every believer, everyone who knows the Lord, is making a commitment to be in God's word and to be in prayer every single day. That is a powerful challenge. And this is what I see. And I've been in churches all over the country, but this is what I see. When a church takes seriously that commitment to be in the word, to be in prayer daily, what God does in your life individually drastically impacts what God does in the life of the church corporately. Amen? I'm taking her home. We need her in Lawton, America. But you see it in churches that are alive, in churches that represent the Lord in their communities in a powerful way, where you see people baptizing and coming to know Jesus, it is absolutely important. And then also the emphasis on family, the emphasis on making sure that marriages are strong, that families are strong, giving you the tools and the resources. In fact, Andrew, I'm going to borrow a lot of that, okay? So pack that up and put it in a goodie bag for me because I want to take that back to my church. I love what you're doing there because families need it. Families need it. My wife is here today, Jennifer. She's right here on the front row. And uh, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you about a time that we struggled one time. All right. She didn't know I was going to tell this. So if there's a counselor that may come sit by her, you can come and do that. So, you know, in marriage, you, you walk through, you try lots of different things together. And uh, <clears throat> my wife had started this this program for eating called Whole30. Has anybody ever heard of Whole30? Raise your hand. Okay, pray for everybody's hand that you see in the air right there because they've been through trauma, people. They've been through trauma, all right? And so what Whole30 is, what Whole30 is, is basically take out all the good foods that you can eat and eat all the bad stuff that you can eat, okay? Let me give you an example. You can't have sugar of any kind. That's awful. You cannot have breads or grains of any kind. Are you kidding me? And, and listen, all you can have as much as you want are veggies. Do I look like I appreciate veggies? Okay. <laughs> the one holy moment that I can give you this morning is that I have never been led to sin by a salad bar. That has never happened in my life. And so the question is, so what's left besides, so you can eat meat and you can only eat certain kinds of meat, but barbecue is not one of those kinds of meat. And so as you can imagine, I'm going through withdrawals. I'm I'm mad all the time. Listen, one time I followed a little Debbie's truck for like 300 miles, okay? (laughs) It was awful. It was terrible. But I start getting in the zone a little bit, you know. I'm starting to eat things like flaxseed crackers. If you want to know what a flaxseed cracker is, just get up on, a, on your roof and peel off a shingle and take a bite. That's a flaxseed cracker. 
So that's what we're, you know, that's, what, that's our life. That's what we're living in. And, and I know that we're having to go to this wedding. We're going to this wedding. And I know they're going to have my favorite thing in the whole world, wedding cake with buttercream frosting. Listen, I'm so addicted to that. I will go to people's weddings. I don't even know them <laughs> just so I can get the cake. That's how much I love wedding cake. And so I know I'm getting my heart right, getting my mind ready for that, you know, and I'm trying to get my mind for the fact that we're going to have this fried chicken called Aishan's fried chicken. It's famous in Oklahoma. They're catering that, you know, and, and so I'm getting ready. I'm powering up for this moment and listen. The chicken, when it's put in front of me, I'm good. I fight it off. I'm feeling pretty proud of myself. But what I didn't account for was how strong the pull of the wedding cake would be. And so I go, my, I listen, I said, I said, babe, we cannot hang out here. Like we need to get out of here quick or I'm going to eat some of that wedding cake. Like it's, it's happening. Like we got to get out of here. And so, and I said, in fact, let's just leave now before we really start serving the wedding cake. And then lo and behold, they start serving the wedding cake. And I said, listen, we need to get out of here now. Like this is emergency mode. I'm going to make a fool out of all of us. Okay. The whole family. And she's like, the kids are not going to leave without having their wedding cake. And I said, okay, well, I'm going out to the Suburban and y'all come on out. And I said, hey, here's what I need you to do. Just give me a little sliver. Just give me a little sliver. I don't need the whole piece of wedding cake. I just need like what amounts to a bite. If I could just have just a tiny little bite, just a tiny little bite, that'll be good. I'll be in the car. Just bring it when you get to the, to the Suburban. A little while passes, whole family comes in. Everybody's got a slice of wedding cake. What I don't see is a little sliver that I asked for. So we get in the car, start to drive. I said, hey, babe, you know, where's that, that, little, you know, that little sliver, that little taste of, of wedding cake? And she said, I am not going to impede your progress. You've been doing so good. And I, I am not, I am not going to give you wedding cake. And I'm like, listen, I, I didn't ask, really. I kind of told you to get me a piece of wedding cake. You can see I'm losing my mind. I'm losing it. I said, I, I didn't really ask for that. I, I told you to bring me a little sliver of the wedding cake. And, and she goes, I told you I'm not going to do that. I said, I'm mad. I'm mad. I'm literally mad. I'm not play mad. I'm not like, ha ha, that's all right. I'm like, I'm angry at her. And then I hear my son, my son, I've got three kids in the car. My son, my beloved son, says, I don't want my wedding cake. <laughs> the Lord wants me to have this wedding cake. I said, hey, son, just pass that on up. My wife intercepts the wedding cake. And she says, no, you are not going to sabotage your progress. And I'm like, no. I'm going to have that cake and you can call it whatever you want to call it. And she said, I will throw this cake out the window before I let you eat it. You're doing so good. She's trying to encourage me. And I said, Jen, there's no way you're going to throw that wedding cake out the window. I know you. I have lived with you. We have this beautiful marriage. Listen, in my whole life, you have pledged you will never be a litter bug. There's no way that you are going to throw that cake with that plate out that window. And I'm telling you, no sooner had those words come out my mouth, the window was down, cake was gone. I about wrecked the Suburban. 
I was so mad. I look up in my rearview mirror, my youngest daughter's in the back. She sees that she's got one bite of cake left. She knows I'm serious. She's like, <laughs> and she stuffed it in her face and it was gone. Now I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes when you love somebody, you have to take drastic measures to show that love, even when they don't like it. Now I'm going to tell you something. One of the things I love about your pastor is that I can tell in every interaction that I've had with him is that he loves you. He cares about you. He loves your families and he cares about your family. God has put a shepherding heart in him and he shares that shepherding heart with everybody that he knows. And I'm going to tell you something. I love that when he puts a, cal a date on the calendar called fall kickoff and his heart behind that is to bring people into the church house, not just to launch the activities that we're doing, but to help people know Jesus, to help people know Jesus. And I'm going to show you something. I'm not texting in church, Andrew, so don't get on to me right now, but I've got some statistics that I want to share with you that are important that make this such an incredible moment that out of love, we would have this moment right here because of the love that he has for you as a pastor. Last year, we're talking about in 2020, well, actually it was 2021 to 2022 is when these statistics came out. 47%, are you ready for this? 47% of Southern Baptist churches in our convention, 47% did not baptize a soul did not baptize one person, okay? 57.1% baptized one or none. 57%. I love it that when I walked in here and I sat down amongst this vibrant body of believers and I started watching the welcome video as it came on, one of the first things I saw was baptism. It looks like you baptized some folks around here. It looks like you are awesome at sharing the gospel here and seeing people come to Jesus, but your brother and sister churches across the convention, 57.1% baptized one or less. And listen to this, that means 42.9% baptized two or more during that same time. Only 42.9%. And so here's what that tells me. That tells me one, is that there's not a lot of churches. You could almost say that 57.1 of those churches have congregations that are not committed to being in the word and not being committed to be in prayer, who've not committed to make sure that families grow into godly families, regardless of what that family structure looks like. Because here's what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. What I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that when people walk with Jesus, when they really walk with Jesus, they begin to see the people around them like Jesus does. And he cares about them unconditionally, powerfully. And they reach out to those and they bring them in. And you see salvation and you see baptism. And listen, here's how I know that. Because that's what a church did for me. That's what a church did for me. And they helped me understand these powerful truths. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to read the scripture text. And I'm going to tell you my story. This is in Psalm 139, starting in verse 13. It says this. It says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. These are powerful and amazing truths. The first part of this text says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You know what that truth teaches us? It teaches us something very powerful. It teaches us that God created us. God created us. Okay, I'm gonna need some help. God created us, amen? God created us. Think about the implications of that. You saw me pull out my iPhone. This iPhone is a tremendous amount of engineering that went into creating this iPhone. In fact, they tell us that there's more technology in our phones today than they had when they put somebody on the moon. How about that? It's incredible what we've been able to engineer and design and create. There was some, at some point, this was something in somebody's imagination. And from their imagination, they took it into creation and they created it on purpose for a purpose. It's not an accident. If I were somewhere in the woods and I found this iPhone, I wouldn't say to myself, self, that must have been an, ex an amazing explosion at a Best Buy that suddenly created that. I would know there was a designer, a creator, somebody that made that. It was amazing. It's powerful in all the things that it can do. Listen, God created you. You are birthed from his imagination and you went from imagination to creation. You are his handiwork. And the Bible says here, he says, I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Did you know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Meaning that when God looks at you, there's this awe that comes over him to say, this is my masterpiece. This is my creation. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And he says, I know that full well, meaning I'm confident without doubt that this is true. It's a precious promise. And then I, I see also in this text when he says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. And when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And he says, all the days ordained for me written in your book before one of them came to be powerful promises. Because here's what I know. Based on the teaching of scripture, and in particular this scripture, you are not an accident. I said, you are not an accident. God planned for your life. He planned for you to be here. Your circumstances may be awful. The circumstances and how you got here may be awful. But I'm gonna tell you something, God has a way of working with awful and making awful extremely beautiful. And I know that not just because I'm preaching the truth of God's word, I've seen it and I've lived it and I wanna share that with you. So I come from a little place called Elgin, Oklahoma, same county where I'm pastoring at now. I live now in Lawton, Oklahoma. I'm at First Baptist Church of Lawton, Oklahoma, but I grew up just down the road in Elgin. In case you've been wondering why I'm brown, let me tell you that. I'm Native American. Chalk tall. What's up, sis? All right. 
So I'm Comanche, I'm Kiowa, and I'm Cherokee. Let me explain that a little bit. My dad was a full-blood Cherokee man. My mom was half Kiowa and half Comanche. I was raised in my Comanche family. I did not know much about my Kiowa family, did not much know much about my Cherokee family. I was raised in a Comanche home. Comanches are mean people. They're warriors, lords of the plains, they were called. It's a great book called Empire of the Summer Moon that can show you the depths of who Comanche people are. Very strong, powerful warrior tribe. That's the family I grew up in. In fact, I've got a great grandma named Jessie. Jessie was the meanest woman I've ever met in my life. That was a tough lady, okay, a tough lady. Listen, she had home remedies. She had home remedies. She would take Vicks Vapor Rub, okay? I know that's, I smelled it in this room. Some of y'all have that same thing. She'd, she'd take, but she'd take Vicks Vapor Rub when you had a sore throat. She'd get a little healthy swab of it on her finger and she would take the victim pop open their mouth, hold it in such a way that if you tried to bite her finger, you'd bite your own cheeks. And she'd stick that finger down in the throat. And because she didn't know which part was sore, <laughs> she would gag you until the whole throat was covered. That's a true story. And listen, my, my family, my other cousins that lived in the house, a bunch of us in the house, we would all just tell each other that they're, you know, hey, grandma, his throat's sore. No! Betrayal, ultimate betrayal. And so as I got older, I tried to reason with Grandma. I said, Grandma Jesse, I said, look, read the box. It says external use only. That's on the outside. And she looked me right in the eye. She said, boy, that's for white people. So at the, the beginning of my family, I had this great grandma, Jesse, and my great grandpa, Taylor. And that's whose house I lived in. I was kind of being passed around a little bit. No dad in my life. Dad's never been a part of my life. My mom was in and out of my life. She got pregnant with me while she was in a boarding school. She got sent to because of her behavior. Her parents, not these great grandparents, but her parents gave her her first drink of alcohol when she was in grade school, probably around fourth or fifth grade. She was drinking with them regularly when she was in junior high school. And she was partying like crazy from junior high through high school. My mom got pregnant with me as a teenager, had me as a teenager. And then I was passed around after my great grandparents passed away. Any moral fabric that held our family at check dissolved. And so my aunts and my uncles, all alcoholics, drug addicts, my mom, by the time she was 40 years old, 40 years old, passed away because of cirrhosis of the liver, an alcohol drug-related disease. Her sister at the age of 53 passed away because of the same disease. My half-brother, same mom, different dads, exactly 11 months apart, he and I, died when he was 40 years old, cirrhosis of the liver, alcohol and drug-related. It's just generational curse, this generational sin that has just ate up my family for generations. All of it stemmed from some sort of abuse and neglect. Later on where I'd hear my mom's story, and I'll tell you this, 11 months before she passed away, 
11 months before she passed away, my mama gave her heart and life to Jesus. She was saved. And I'll never forget how it happened. Uh, her, her and I's relationship had been pretty strained. I hadn't talked to her in a while. We lived in the same city. I was going to Cameron University, involved in the Baptist Student Union or Baptist Collegiate Ministries, I think it's called now. And um, I get a phone call from my mom. And at that time, she was living homeless on the streets of Lawton. Alcoholic, drug addict, living that life. But she called me one morning and she said, son, I want to go to church. She knew I was a youth pastor, at a part-time youth pastor at a little church there in Lawton. And uh, I said, okay, mom. I said, I'll come pick you up. Where do you want me to go? And she sent me to this park. I didn't have any high hopes that she would be there. She'd asked these kinds of things, made those kind of promises before. But when I got to that park, she was there. And she was dressed as nice as she could dress. But I'd seen my mom in a long time and she was different. I'd seen the result of cirrhosis of the liver. Basically her body was just poisoning itself to death. Her skin was very yellow and dark. Her eyes where they're supposed to be white were completely yellow. Her hair had thin. She, was a, she used to be a beautiful, beautiful woman. Was homecoming queen of her class. She was a beautiful lady. And now she's dwindled to much of nothing. So we get in, our, get in my car and I'm crying because I, don't, I hadn't seen her like this before. I could tell she was sick. So we don't talk much on the way, but we go to church. My pastor preaches that morning. He preaches a simple gospel that Jesus loves you that he lived, that he died, that he rose again to pay for our sins, to give us new life, man, just a simple gospel message. And so just as our custom was, I would go to the front and stand alongside with my pastor and, and other staff, and, and we would just be there to receive people if they wanted to pray or if they wanted to give their heart to the Lord. And my mom was sitting on the second row right where this sweet lady's sitting right here. We'd be like in that very seat, except for we had pews. And I, God bless you for not having pews. But she was sitting in a pew. And during the invitation time, before the piano player could touch the keys, my mom started walking out of that aisle. And she walked right past me, went to my pastor. And my pastor visited her for a little bit, with her a little bit. He called for this sweet little old lady named Eloise Fraley. And they sat on the front row right in front of me. And I listened to my mom give her heart and life to Jesus. She was saved. I was over. I hugged her. We cried. Congratulated her. I said, Mom, how come you didn't come talk to me? She said, I want to talk to a real preacher. <laughs> I, was, I was just a youth minister, you know. She wanted to talk to a real preacher. She wanted to get it right. And I watched my mom for the next 11 months. Cold turkey. Not another drug not another drink, and no side effects from that, no detox symptoms. If you know about that life, you know it's a miracle of God. But the one thing he didn't take away was the cirrhosis of the liver. And on December 26, 1993, the age of 40, I held my mama's hand 
while she passed away with a smile on her face and she went home to be with the Lord, completely healed forever. Now, there was a journey that came before that that was really hard. You see, growing up in a home riddled by alcohol, drug addiction, and all the things that come with that, and in a small town, everybody knows your business, everybody knows what's going on. Anytime the police were called, it was at our house, and everybody knew it. But as a kid, you don't understand that. You don't know those kinds of things. And so here I am going to school, and there's this family, the Mattingleys, Mark and Beverly. Mark and Beverly were members of First Baptist Church in Elgin, Oklahoma, a church that doesn't even exist today. But they started praying for me and praying for my family. And they did something really underhanded and dirty. Without my permission, without me even knowing them or having a relationship with them, they signed me up for vacation Bible school. And so a week before VBS in Elgin, Oklahoma, this big bus, they tried to paint it all these cool colors, but I knew it was a school bus pulls up right in front of our house. And this little lady, she was probably 150 years old, <laughs> makes it to the doorstep. And I did what I had been taught to do when church people come to the house. I got in a closet and I hid. <laughs> no air conditioning, the beginning of summer, it's hot. I'm in that closet and this woman relentlessly knocks on our door. And I'm telling you, she did not give up. I'm in that closet, I'm sweating, I'm seeing dead relatives, like this is a bad thing. Finally, I come out of that, I just bust out of there, I go to the front yard, or front door, and I said, ma'am, can I help you? And she goes, are you Michael Keeper? And I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, well, we've got you signed up for vacation Bible school. Would you like to go to vacation Bible school? And I was like, no, I don't wanna go to any kind of school. It's summertime. And then she had this really sad look on her face. And I said, ma'am, what's wrong? And she goes, well, I, I don't know what we're going to do with all the cookies and Kool-Aid. <laughs> and all the delicious snacks. I think she typecasted me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do with all these snacks at Vacation Bible School. If we don't have kids, they'll come and eat them. And I said, Snacks? I said, will this bus come by and give me a ride? And she said, absolutely, every single day. And I'm gonna tell you what, I was ready to be the valedictorian of vacation Bible school. <laughs> I was up early, I was ready to go. That bus picked me up just like it promised. And I was surrounded by a church full of loving people. I didn't understand it. These people didn't know me. They didn't know anything about me, except for they did. But from a child's perspective, they didn't know me, but they just loved me. And I have the most amazing week. It was the safest place that I could be all week long. And I loved how I felt when I was there. And the snacks, she kept her promise. They were amazing. And so I have an amazing week. I go home on the last day. I'm the last kid getting off the bus. Now I'm the one that's sad. Same little old lady says, Michael, are you okay? I'm just sad. She goes, why are you sad? I said, because there's no more vacation Bible school, no more snacks. And she says, you know, we do this every Sunday. I was like, what? <laughs> she says, we do this every Sunday. 
and we call it children's church, Sunday school and children's church. Would you like the bus to come by and pick you up? I said, yeah. <laughs> and so every Sunday, like clockwork, that bus came to pick me up. Coming from an unchurched home, an unchurched family, no line to the gospel, except for Mark and Beverly Mattingly, who are walking with Jesus in their individual lives, who are asking God to show them people to come across their path that they could share the gospel with. They, I was targeted by some godly people and they prayed for me. And as they walked with God, God would move them. They would become like a mom and a dad to me throughout the years. And that church became my village. And they made sure that I had school clothes, school supplies. They made sure that I didn't miss anything that the other kids went to and did. I got to go to camps. I got to go experience all the things that other kids do because these people, this church, invested in my life. You see, that's why it's important for me to share a message like this with you this morning because there's kids like me that are in your community. There are families like mine in your community and they're struggling with addictions. They're struggling with demons. They're struggling with all kinds of things. They're struggling with poverty. There's some good people that are struggling with things and they're on a collision course with hell. But God has sent Moberly Baptist Church to Longview. And what God does in you individually, what God does in this church corporately matters to this community. In fact, for many, it's a matter of life and death. Amen? Whoa, she fell asleep. <laughs> I have a bad habit of doing that to kids. I do. But it's important because kids like me and families like mine, we needed to know that God created us, that God made us. We need to know these powerful truths that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I wish that message would have gotten to my mom a lot sooner because maybe she wouldn't have turned to alcohol and drugs or maybe if it had gotten to her parents and maybe she wouldn't have been abused and neglected. This gospel message is important because it carries powerful truths with it that show us how much God loves us, that he knew us, he created us, he designed us, he made us, and he did it on purpose and for purpose. Our life has meaning and purpose. I didn't come to know the Lord Jesus until November 1st, 1990, my freshman year of college. I'd been around this church, heard the gospel over and over again, even thought I had made a decision in the church, went down sometime in grade school, and I told the last service, I was, I was a hustler. Because of the life that I had grown up in, the way that I had to live, I could go into a room, figure it out. I could work a room. I could understand how the systems work. And here's what I saw at First Baptist Church Elgin. What I saw is that if you brought somebody to church, everybody applauded that. If you talked to somebody, invested in their life, and they ended up somewhere in that big old bathtub that we call a baptistry, and they get baptized, the whole church cheers and everybody loves it. And whoever brought them there gets a lot of credit, gets a pat on the back. I figured that out quick. And so I wanted everybody to know that Mark and Beverly Mattingly made a great investment in my life. And so I walked down an aisle, said whatever it is that I had to say, made my way to that bathtub in the sky, got wet in front of everybody and never knew the Lord. 
but they were consistent in sharing the gospel with me at every turn. They did it individually. I did it. They did it in Sunday school. They did it in VBS. They did it in youth group. They did it in all the things. But it wasn't until November 1st, 1990 at Cameron University. We were having a revival. This evangelist comes through. It's a Thursday night, somewhere around 10 o'clock. He's finished a simple gospel message. God loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you, to pay the price for your sin. And if you'll believe that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again, you'll be saved. Simple elements of the gospel. Heard it a thousand times. But that night, the Holy Spirit of God broke my heart, showed me that I was separated from God and that I needed a savior and that Jesus was the only savior. And so I prayed a prayer, really simple. Jesus, I know I've messed up. I know I've done wrong. Lord, I know that my sin separates me from you. But right now, the best way I know how, the best way I understand it, Jesus, I believe that you live, that you died, that you rose again. Lord Jesus, save my soul. And I'm gonna tell you something. He saved my soul that night. He saved my soul that night. And I was different. And I long, listen, I'd read this book a lot. I'd read these pages. I'd read these words. None of it made sense to me, but I was disciplined to read it. But now, as a believer, when I opened up that book and I began to read, it's like the words just jumped off the page right into my mind, into my heart. And it meant something and I craved it and I loved it. And I just, I fell in love with this book. And now when I was talking to God, it wasn't like I was talking to myself. I felt like there was a real relationship there. And I began to know God and walk with God and grow in God. God would eventually call me into ministry and then lead me to that moment with my mom. And God would grow me up in ministry. But I'll tell you the key part. It's when I learned out, I learned what my name meant. I just started youth ministry was working on a camp t-shirt with this Native American guy named Ed Hoosier, who's also Comanche and Kiowa. I was working in his office, working on the design, and I see my name in the right-hand corner of this painting. It says Keybone. I said, Ed, why is my name on your painting? He said, I was wondering when you were gonna ask me about that. He said, do you know what your name means? I said, Ed, I usually just make something up because I have no idea because Keybone is a Kiowa name. It's not a Comanche name or a Cherokee name. It's a Kiowa name. And so I didn't know anything about my Kiowa heritage, nothing about Kiowa language. And I said, so Ed, I just made stuff up. I'd tell people like it was strong buffalo, you know, something like that. <laughs> and he goes, man, your name, let me tell you about your name. He said, there was this Kiowa chief named Big Bo. Had this reputation for being indestructible. Wouldn't die. Couldn't kill him. But he took some men on a hunt, most of the men in their camp. They were ambushed, and many of them died. And the few that survived saw Big Bo die. And so they came back, shared the news. Kaiwa way is to mourn for three days and then choose a new leader. On the third day of mourning, Big Bo came walking back into the camp, and he was alive. And so they changed his name from Big Bo to Kibo Da, which meant was dead, but is now alive. He said, your name means that you were dead, but you're now alive. 
I said, that's way better than strong buffalo. <laughs> and so a couple of weeks later, I'd asked to, to share my testimony at a Native American youth rally. And so they're singing these Native songs, they're singing these Kiowa songs. I keep hearing my name in the Kiowa songs. And so I asked one of the older men there, one of the elders, I said, hey, I said, am I hearing this right? Are they saying my name in that song? And he goes, boy, don't you know what your name means? So we talked about the story I just heard. And he goes, there's more to that though. He said, you see, when missionaries came to tell the Kiowa people about Jesus, they didn't have a word to say that Jesus had died and come back to life until they came across Kibo Da. And they could say that Jesus was stronger than death. He was dead, but now he's alive. He said, your name in Kiowa, son, is salvation. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before any of them came to pass. My God created me. He dreamed me up. What he didn't give me naturally by his own hand. He let me live in this laboratory that's been my life to learn everything that I needed to learn, to give me every tool that I need, every spiritual gift. And when he saved my soul, he gave me every spiritual gift. He gave me talents, he gave me abilities, he gave me resources. He gave me experience. And I found my purpose. And I live confidently that every day of my life, is in his hands. Every possibility of my life, he's present. Three years ago, God called me to come back home to Lawton, Oklahoma. I didn't want to go home. I spent my whole life running away from home. I vowed I would never take my family to the place where every painful memory in my life exists. Comanche County. It's never going to do it. And I got the call, and after wrestling with it, I knew we were supposed to go. My wife showed me in her quiet time journal where God has spoken to her. We're supposed to go. We know it. And so we go home, and I'm anxious, sad, I'm angry, but I know we're supposed to be there. And all God has done is an amazing work. Most of it in my family, bringing healing and bringing peace. I'm going to show you a picture of my immediate family. This is my wife and I and our three kids. My daughter, Sarah, is on your right. She's 11 years old. Beautiful brown guy is me. <laughs> the way more beautiful woman right there is my wife, Jennifer. My 16-year-old 16 16 daughter, who thinks she's 30. And then my son, Micah, who's 14. Miracles. Told we couldn't have kids. We begged God to change that. He did. We were able to have three children. So we move our family to Lawton, Oklahoma, in the middle of COVID. And God begins a healing process that we never expected or saw brought me back into the life of my sister, 
who's been an alcoholic drug addict for almost 25 years, living on the streets, cooked meth, sold meth. She'd become a living zombie. Found out that her daughter was in serious trouble. Her dad was raising her, grooming her to sell drugs, eventually sex trafficking. But God, when he brought us home, crossed our paths, and we began to intervene. And I'm going to show you another picture we added to our family. You see that other brown guy over there? That's my nephew. That's my sister's son. And the one in between my wife and my oldest daughter, that's Eritrea. That's her daughter. The one we were able to rescue. In light of what God did there yesterday, Mark, the one-year anniversary of my sister's total sobriety. And now all of them know the Lord. They're learning to walk with God. My sister is in church about every Sunday. God's changed her life, transformed her life. I told her that the, I told her when she first really, like when we were into her sobriety and we were moving and I mean, we were months in, I said, I haven't seen my sister in 25 years. It's good to have you back. That's the kind of things that God can do. And listen, I don't know what's going on in your heart, in your life. I don't even know how God got you here this morning. I don't know if you're a long time member, short time member, it's the first time in the house. But here's what I do know. God has you here on purpose. And it's time to decide what that purpose is. It's time to see it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to talk to you for a brief moment. And the first question you need to ask yourself this morning is, do I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Do I know Jesus? Am I confident that when this life is over, that I will be with the Lord? And if not, that can be remedied today. See, here's what the Bible says in Romans 3.23. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It means we all mess up. We all do bad things. And in Romans 6.23, says there's a cost. There's a price for that. For the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, everybody dies, but spiritual death, separated from God forever. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a way out. There's salvation that can be had, and it's through Jesus. In fact, Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And in Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if God has shown you this morning that you don't know him, that you came into this place and you don't really know him as Lord and Savior, that can be remedied right now. And I'd like to pray with you. Here's what I mean by that. If you know this morning you don't know the Lord and that needs to be fixed, 
He's the only one that can fix it. And your heart knows it. If that's you, would you pray with me? And these aren't magic words. You're just declaring powerful biblical spiritual truths that God says lead to salvation. You say, Jesus, I know I've messed up. I know I've done wrong things. But right now, the best way I know how, the best way I understand it, I'm telling you, Jesus, I believe that you lived, I believe that you died, and I believe that you rose again. Lord Jesus, save me. Save me. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you just cried out to him and you meant it, he saved you. If that's you this morning, would you do me a favor? Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand as high as you can raise it. If you prayed that prayer, I want to pray for you. Awesome. 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 Who else? Awesome. Awesome. Man, I'm so proud of you. It's a game changer. It's a life changer. Here in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. When I say amen, we're going to stand together. We're going to start to worship. And listen, there's some folks here at the front. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you come and just take them by the hand? If you need somebody to come with you, hey, take your neighbor, take a friend. Say, hey, I need you to go with me. I know it can be intimidating, but I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. You take those steps and you declare that Jesus saved my soul and somebody gets to celebrate with you, somebody gets to congratulate you and then help you take your next steps. I know it's going to be hard, but I'm going to ask you to come. As soon as I say amen and we're praying and we're all standing together, you make your way here and take one of these folks and they'll help you. If you're a believer and you already know it, man, you, there's no doubt in your mind, but you're not walking with the Lord today, man, can I just tell you, it's time to come home. 1 John 1, 9 says, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. It's time to get back in the game. It's too important. There's so many people in your city that don't know him. And it's so important that you're not just coasting and getting by, but that you're walking with God. There are things that need to stop today and there are things that need to start today. If you need one of these folks to pray with you, they're here for you. If you just need to come and pray, this altar is a place you can come and pray. You can sit, kneel, stand. There's plenty of seats right here in the front. If you're looking for a church home, man, this is a great place. It's a great family to be a part of. They would love to have you. God's calling you to ministry. The first step is always obedience. You may not know exactly what it is and when it is, but the first step is always obedience. Time to take one of these folks by the hand. They can help you. Father God, I love you so much. I'm so thankful for this church and the blessing of your word and the power in it. And God, I pray that today, if there's anybody here that prayed that prayer and meant it, Lord, I saw a few hands and I believe they meant it. Lord, I pray that you give them the strength to make that move from where they're at to right here, to let somebody know, to rejoice with them and to celebrate with them, help them know their next steps. 
all that you do and all that you want to accomplish today. God, would you move in our people, move in us. In Jesus' name, amen.